Welcome to episode 180 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, Cameron, I don't know about you, but I'm very excited this week. Are you are you this Chris Lord or are you Earth 50 Chris Lord? Uh, where you well, accidentally killed the president. You you can tell I'm Earth 50 Chris Lord because I'm so happy to be here. It's true. <laughs> there, there's none of that usual like begrudging like hi welcome to tim talk we're doing this again like there's actual pure energy here wait does that mean that i am the justice lord version of myself all the time yes that's oh, why you're chris lord <laughs> does that mean in the other universe i'm chris league yeah <laughs> sorry let me start that again welcome to episode 180 of tim talk the podcast about the dc animated universe co-created by bruce tim i'm chris league and i'm cameron league <laughs> Cameron man. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I guess I'm still me. I'm just the passerby. Yeah. Lois you, was the same in both episodes. Exactly. I'll be her. Yeah. You flitted between both universes, right? Yeah. I'm, the, <laughs> I'm the good version here. <laughs> but no, I am super excited. These are some of my favorite episodes. These were really good. Because again, you hadn't seen these, right? I had not seen these. Okay. I keep asking that question like I'm expecting a different answer, but I think at this point, you yeah, it, yeah. We, at this point, I have easily jumped ship from Justice League and jumped into uh, JLU. Yeah, and any rewatch. But yeah, so we're we're talking about a better world parts one and two here, which yes. is the introduction of the uh, the Justice Lords, and also pretty much I would say outside of Starcross, maybe the most important episodes in Justice League, just in terms of what it sets up down the line. Yeah, I I was surprised at how much was in these. Yeah. I, I was actually kind of surprised you hadn't seen these because you do love JLU and particularly you love the Cadmus arc and the mm-hmm. whole Cadmus arc is inspired by this episode. Right. So did you like, do you remember when you were watching those when you were a kid, were you wondering what they kept referencing when they referred to like that time Superman went crazy and the Justice Lords and all that or the, in the uh, loop timeline and everything? I probably didn't think about it. Okay. That's fair. Because <laughs> I didn't have a podcast then and I didn't have to think about it. <laughs> You could just let the episodes wash over yeah, you. Yeah, that was such a good time. Do you remember that? When you didn't have to like critically look at media? When you didn't have to have a hot take yeah. on everything? <laughs> Honestly, that might be my biggest takeaway from doing a podcast, is that I'm tired of having hot takes. Yeah. Uh, I think I even said this before. It was Wonder Woman 84 that finally killed it for me, where I was like, I... Would have loved to be able to just watch this movie and just enjoyed it for what it is. But I felt like I had to watch it right away because I had to have a take <laughs> on it. And I had to have people asking me, what did you think about it? And it's like, I love those kind of conversations. But I also love like not having to mm-hmm. have an opinion on things. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we skipped the conversation last week, but that's WandaVision right now. Yeah, that's true. Is is I have a friend that watches it at 12.01. Mm-hmm. And she will message me at 12.31. Be like, have you watched it yet? I have my theories. I'm like, I just got to bed. Yeah, what, what are you doing? Because <laughs> I, I, I understand the need to watch it right away. You don't want anything spoiled. Right. This is why, same with Mandalorian, I watch WandaVision at 6 a.m. on a Friday before going into the office. Yeah. So I don't accidentally see something I don't want to see on Reddit throughout the day. But yeah, I... I kind of like being able to just watch it. I, I do chat a little bit. Like, you and I chat a little bit about the show. My brother and I will usually talk every week after we watch the episode and mm-hmm. throw out little theories here and there. But part of me loves to just enjoy them for what they are. Yeah. And not have to talk about it. That's what anime is for. Yeah, but... It, I, you don't like I it. I can't. I know. I know you don't like it. But it, it's so far, and I know how much you cut out 
<laughs> to like I don't have to talk about it. Not that I had to talk about it in the first place. Yeah. But it is it is like the whole medium. Just like, oh yeah, I don't like no one I know talks about this. Yeah. And so it is just for me now. That's great. <clears throat> I mean Shane watches anime. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Because every once in a while the three of us get together, you two start talking anime and I zone out. Yeah. And then yeah. you guys talk James Bond and I and zone, I zone out. <laughs> Yeah. Or cars and I zone out. Exactly. Then you and I start talking Batman and he zones out. It's yeah. a per- it's a perfect flawed trifecta. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, luckily this time around, I do have, I don't know what I call it, hot takes necessarily, but I, I have passion for these episodes, which is what you want out of a good podcast. Yes. So hopefully people actually like this episode. There, there were, <laughs> I don't want to call them twists, but it's like when Doomsday landed, <laughs> I was audibly like, Doomsday? Doomsday? I know, right? <laughs> what are you doing here? It's... Uh, they pack a lot into these two yeah. episodes. It, it almost kind of feels like um, a, a better version of Man of... Or not Man of Steel, of BVS, where you're like, all right, they set off a nuclear bomb in the middle of that movie, and you forget because so much happens. Yeah. But in that movie, pretty much all of it's inconsequential, whereas here it's actually all pretty substantial. Right. Um, but no, I, I love these episodes, and I, I think I think part one is... <clears throat> really really good to set up what i think are some of the best moments in all of D- the dcau you, you just want a doppelganger two. fight i and we'll get to that 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 doppelganger fight is particularly the batman versus batman section yeah. is maybe one of the best things ever to come out of this entire universe so we shall get to it but let's go ahead and, uh, and dive into a better world part one um and so in this episode we find that in an alternate dimension the justice league has taken control of the world and dub themselves the Justice Lords. Well, we don't we don't know it's an alternate dimension yet. Right, I'm I'm getting to it. Yeah, I, but you started off. I'm setting off hot. I'm I need se- you to calm down a little. I'm setting up the overall plot, and then we'll get into the specifics. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's called a summary, Cameron. You don't summarize a twist like that. The twist is in the first three minutes. It doesn't yes. count as a twist. But anyways, the Justice Lords discover that there's an alternate dimension where our Justice League that we know and love exists, and so the Justice Lords pop over there to usurp the League and uh, uh, enforce their own brand of justice. But yes, to your point, the cold open of this is a pretty big twist, mm-hmm. which obviously you did not see coming. So, okay, did you know anything about these episodes going in? Yes, you told me. Okay, what did you know going in? <laughs> that it's about the Justice Lords. Okay, did you... And not about the crime syndicate like I thought. Okay, did you know who the Justice Lords were? Yes. Okay, so... Uh, no, because I thought it was Ultraman, but that is crime syndicate. Yes, that's crime syndicate, mm-hmm. which uh, I guess that was the original pitch for this episode. Yes, which we'll talk about now. Why not? Let's talk about it now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I am a I know it's it's not a lot of people's like even top five I would say but I'm such a sucker for Christ of Two Earths. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably the first DC animated film that I watched like when I knew all the characters like okay yeah post reading Blackest Night and uh, when I was finally like indoctrinated into the DC world mm-hmm. that was the first one I watched. I'm like oh shit like this is amazing. It is really good. It, it's not one of my top ones. Like I think Under the Red Hood is better for me. Um I think I prefer Justice League Doom as well. Uh, yeah, those are my top 3 is yeah. Red Hood, Doom, uh Christ Era, Two Earths. Yeah. And so I still love Superman Doomsday. Mm-hmm. Um way back in the day, the original one. But yeah, like this was originally pitched as a crime syndicate story and then 
because I listened to, I, I did a lot of research this time around, Cameron. I yeah. actually put in the effort, unlike last week, and I listened to the co- um, audio commentary of part two with like Bruce Tim and Stan Berkowitz and some of the creatives. And they were saying that originally this was going to be a crime syndicate story, but as they were throwing ideas around and you know in the writer's room talking about what they want to do with it, they started to realize that the episodes focused more on the League members anyways. And they mm-hmm. realized, oh, actually, it might be more interesting to just see a slightly darker shade of these characters we already know rather than introducing new characters. And so then that's when this splintered off. But then the idea of the crime syndicate was going to be um, a bridging film between Justice League and Justice League Unlimited called Justice League Worlds Collide. And I guess they just couldn't make that at the same time doing Justice League. And to your point, they just made it its own non-canonical but heavily inspired by the DCAU movie. Right. And I guess James Woods is always supposed to be in it, which is kind of fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a shit person, but, you know, one has to appreciate Hades and his Owlman right. as well. Yeah, and it's it, there's something about the Batman of these three universes that is so similar but different. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, Owlman from the Crime Syndicate is somehow a darker version of our Bruce. He's even more brooding. Yeah, because I think, I think Owlman's not actually Bruce Wayne, right? I think that's the idea. I don't remember that. I don't know if they ever get into his origins enough to know if he's also Bruce Wayne. I assume they're all, you know, outside of Flashpoint. I assume they're all Bruce. Yeah, I can't remember. I I always thought that maybe for some reason that the crime syndicate were actually completely different people. I don't think so. I think they're all still, you know, they might have different names, but they're still their versions of themselves. It's still the rich billionaire, you know, it's still the billionaire playboy philanthropist. Tony Stark? Yes. Yeah. Wayne Bruce. Wayne. Wayne Brewski. <laughs> oh. The Canadian version? Yeah. Yes. I mean, look, we're... Sorry, only sports reference for, exactly. this, for this episode. We're, uh, we're 10 minutes in and we're already having people yell at us that we're getting things wrong, I'm sure. Yeah. But that's par for the course, so it's fine. Um, but yeah, so I guess what I was getting at there is, like, how what was your reaction to the cold open? Because I had seen this already... So I knew where it was going to go, but did you think this was our Justice League in the cold open of the episode? I, I for a minute I did because I forgot where we left Lex. Right. So we last left him still in prison. That's what I thought. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that was weird, and then I then I then I had it flipped because I guess going in I I thought it was going to be the other way of mm-hmm. the league would see the Lords. Oh, okay. Right. Um, and realize like maybe there was some conflict with like Batman and Superman. Cause they're, they're the two that are always like scooting the line mm-hmm. and one of them doesn't give a fuck. She'll break a guy's leg. Yeah. Uh, just for, you know, stepping out of place. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why. Cause it, it's almost always the other way around. It's, it's the crime syndicate slash the Lords always see earth one. And they're like, oh, they're susceptible. They're corruptible. We're going to go there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I didn't think it was a um, different planet yet. Okay. So we, when we first see Superman and Batman or Wonder Woman fighting through a bunch of like security guards, like SWAT guys in this really fancy in hallway. Wonder Woman 84. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's that's true. Scene, it's it's yeah. basically the same scene. Yeah, because they're in the White House, although we don't get that definitively until the very last shot of the cold open when they pan out. But yeah, I mean, they're they're busting their way through. Yeah, just another randomly circular room. Exactly. This There's so many oval-shaped offices yeah. 
in the world. But yeah, Lex is you know, at, you know, the, I don't know which desk it is. Maybe it's the Resolute desk. Who the fuck knows? But at the desk in the Oval Office, um, and Superman busts in and is basically trying to stop him. We don't know exactly what Lex is up to now. They just keep saying, like, you've crossed the line finally. And he has clearly some sort of doomsday weapon at a, the touch of a button. It's going to launch nukes or some other crazy Lex scheme. But I love the the dialogue that happens there in that moment when Superman breaks in and is trying to decide what to do. Because Lex even says, you know of like a dozen different ways to stop me, but they all require lethal force. And you won't do that because you have to be the hero. Yeah. Like beyond ever thrive on being the hero. Exactly. Yeah. Like beyond anything else, that's your greatest weakness. And it's made you my greatest accomplice because Mm -hmm. you have to be the hero and won't do what needs to be done. And that is such a brilliant piece of writing. It really does just narrow down to the finest point possible, their dynamic. And it's fun to see Superman realize you're right. This can't go on anymore. Mm -hmm. And just, fucking laser him through the head yeah it's intense but i think it also is very sincere you know like i think some of the best superman stories are the ones where he does kind of go a little bit crazy and become you know a a a world dominating leader superman red sun is i think one of the best superman comics yep um even the injustice comics the comics based off of the video game they're really good and it's kind of the same idea if he just finally snaps and realizes like the world's too fucked. I'm just going to be in charge and you're all going to deal with it. But it still feels very inherently Superman. Like you can see him teetering on that edge all the time. Yeah. And to see him finally get pushed over it, I think it's just brilliant. Well, the side for me that was was just as shocking was how quickly Batman was just on board. Yeah. that is so against character. I was a little bit surprised by that too because... <clears throat> Batman runs like runs in and sees that Superman's killed Lex and just says it had to be done. And we know because Wonder Woman is the shocked one. Right. Yeah. And like, how could you do that? And yeah, it had to be done. And that did that feel a little bit uncharacteristic to you? Yes. That's the one moment in this entire two parter that just <clears throat> didn't feel quite right. I, I didn't like you. I didn't buy that Batman would be on board. Well, there, there right was away. two theories that I saw about that, and mm-hmm. it, it might have been part of the commentary, um, that the, in this world, they think the Justice League formed earlier because they have been together for two years, mm-hmm. uh, which is has not been as long in Earth-1, we can assume. Yeah. Um, um, I think, well, they've been together for about that long. But you're right. I think this version, I think, has been around a little bit longer, together a little bit longer. Yeah, and we see in their Arkham that Ventriloquist is in there. Mm-hmm. So we can assume Batman hasn't had the same moral victories as he has in our, our world. Yeah. Um, and with Joker being lobotomized, there's also a rumor that this is post-Jason um, Todd. There is no Jason Todd. Well, I mean, there's the, the Batman we Continuous Comics. We don't know comics. about that, Chris. The Batman Continuous Comics. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, I I think that's fair to say that it's not like the two universes have played out the exact same way up to this point. Right. That there have probably been other things that have happened in this universe along the way that have tipped them towards that darker inclination all the way along. Mm-hmm. And then here it finally goes over the edge. So, yeah, I, I think that's fair. And then, obviously, we learn... In, in a moment that 
the the deed that that Lex did, which crossed the line, was he killed Flash. Right. Yeah. And the 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 Flash kind of acts as the kind of the conscience of the league mm-hmm. in some ways. And um, I know one of the things they said in the commentary was part of the reason they started to go down that path was they just couldn't figure out a way to make this version of the Flash a fascist. Yeah. It honestly, it just wouldn't work because he just doesn't have that same kind of edge the way the rest of them do. Mm-hmm. You just don't see him. There's no bitterness behind him, with that, yeah. which everyone else kind of has. Exactly. Yeah. You know, everyone else goes to dark places sometimes and has had to like face, I think, darker decisions. Um, and that's just not the Flash. And so mm-hmm. they, they couldn't find a way to make it work. And they kind of stumbled upon the idea of like, well, but if he's gone that would push things further. And I think that does make a lot of sense, actually. I think that's a good justification to help push them in this direction yeah. of being that much darker. Um, but yeah, I mean, they kill Lex, and then we jump forward two years, and we see the whole world has been remade. So they now have like a much more like substantial militaristic watchtower that's got a whole bunch of basically constant patrols happening. Um, they are absolutely fascists like they are like violently suppressing riots via the police uh lois even says you know the world's in permanent lockdown free speech is all but dead i felt a little bit too real oh yeah yeah seeing the scene <laughs> of the protester because they're college protesters yeah and i i almost paused to count because there's not a lot of them no it, it, it's, <laughs> it's probably a hundred it, it's it's one of those things that they definitely could not have seen where things were going to go in 20 years and you know the the producers even said in the commentary that by kind of weird coincidence, more or less, um, that they were in post-production on these right at the point when the U.S. is getting ready to invade Iraq. And they said that it felt just a little bit weirdly prescient. Yeah. Um, and weirdly on point. And then, of course, you jump forward 20 years and you have a scene in this where a bunch of people are protesting because the Justice Lords have basically put an election on hold. Um to because superman's like now nah, we're not ready for it yet we're gonna hold off on having an election and so people are protesting because they want to have an election yeah <laughs> trying to defend a free and honest democracy and you're like Holy and police, yeah and police officers Holy beating shit. up the protesters uh yeah that part was that that was very real but but the the part that i find pretty interesting that kind of happens between those two scenes mm-hmm is how bored everybody is. Because what do they do? Yeah. Like, there is no crime really anymore. They, they've succeeded. Yeah. There, there's no crime. They've lobotomized all of the supervillains, presumably. So there's nothing for them to do Yeah. at this point, other than just literally hang out in their watchtower and, and just... Hot Girl and John pass very subtle sexual innuendos to each other. Oh, they're not even subtle. I mean, that, that is something that they acknowledge is that in the Justice Lord universe, they're already together. Yeah. So, and again, you know, they've kind of progressed a little bit further along and it's not totally the same universe. I and mean, that's why she switched helmets is after the first time they hook up, John is like, you gotta, like, we can't, you can't bring that into the bedroom. <laughs> it's like, you gotta find something else. Like, I only have, I only have a queen, <laughs> queen size. And it's like, you take up three fourths <laughs> with just your headpiece. Like, you can't even sleep on your side in that thing. What are you doing? I mean, you know she can take it off, right? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Not yet. I I thought you meant that he just found it distracting when they were having sex. No. Oh, okay. It's, it's the post-cuddle session. Okay. That uh, is... Like, you know, he... He travels the galaxy. He's seen some stuff. I'm not yucking his yum, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
But okay, so what, along those lines though, what did you think of the redesigned costumes? <clears throat> oh, they're awesome. Aren't they? Yeah. I, I Are there, okay, are there any of the redesigns that you prefer to the standard costumes? Um, Hawk Girl. Mm-hmm. But we're going to see that costume. Sort Almost. of. Sort yeah. of. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, John GL we're going to see is, is basically his, his costume from JLU when he just shaves uh, his head. Yeah, he shaves his head. He, so he keeps the uniform. He just shaves the head and grows a, a sweet goatee. Yeah. And that's so. the exact look we get in JLU. Yeah. I mean, his costume is a little bit different this time around. It's got short sleeves. Um, it's more of like a, a distinctive you know, pants shirt rather mm-hmm. than like one kind of continuous bodysuit thing. Um, it's called a jumper. Thank you. A onesie. <laughs> a onesie. <laughs> His Green Lantern onesie. I mean, some of them got much more... Green Lantern's a little more subtle. Yeah. Um, other ones are substantially different. I, I think I'm just so used to these looks, especially because like, like Martian Manhunters I, is technically better but I enjoy the current Martian Manhunter we have. See, I love the Justice Lord Martian Manhunter look a lot more. Um, I, I guess I've always found the um, surprising. I'm saying this, but the bare chest with X pattern across it just mm-hmm. a little bit silly. It doesn't quite work for me. Um, I really like his Justice Lord, where it's like a, a darker color palette. I think if I recall, the collar is gone too. Like the big swoopy collar is gone, and he has kind of a, a picture of Mars in the shape of an emblem in there instead. Yeah. I, I like that look a lot more. Um, I the, the Wonder Woman one's fine. I don't. It's not. It's it's very different. But I'm not going to say it's necessarily an improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, the Superman look is very different. The the hair of Wonder Woman is yeah. very 2000s. It is very <laughs> really, early 2000s. It really is. But yeah, I I think the Hot Girl and the Martian Manhunter looks are big improvements. And I, I'm not going to say that the Batman look is a big improvement, but I just like that design a lot. Mm-hmm. Like the the more like the black bodysuit, the like the kind of the gray version of yeah, Batman being on. I, I do like Wonder. Besides the early 2000s hair, I do like the Wonder Woman suit. I think that is the better version. Okay, yeah, like having it be like a full on bodysuit rather than um, like the the bikini sort of thing she's normally wearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, <clears throat> sorry. I, I just Googled it, and someone drew their versions of Flash and Aquaman. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at that as well, yeah. And those also look very good. Those do look really good. Aquaman's in particular looks pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I um, One of the little details that I love is there is a sense of a uniform between all of them. So they, they all have those two bands on their like wrists and calves. Oh, I was going to go with the V shape. Oh, yes, they all, the yeah, they, you're yeah. right. Yeah, they all do kind of have the V-shape. They have... Um, Minus Hawkgirl for some reason. Um, yeah, well, because her shoulders are bare. But I guess oh, it, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of a dip, though, like where the bit of the hawk emblem comes through. But yeah, you're right. They all have a bit of that, like, V across the chest. They have kind of matching bands. They all have matching utility belts. It's more of a uniform kind of look, which it, it makes sense for a more militarized version of the League to have a more um, uniform ensemble okay so with that because i didn't even notice the utility belt so that's obviously batman so they had to have a meeting at some point <laughs> like we have to figure out our look and batman just like puts his hand up belts belts we Everybody need belts. Needs a belt <laughs> we need belts yeah it's like but we don't need gadgets like i didn't say anything about gadgets you're just gonna get a belt because <laughs> that's the thing it's like this is maybe one of the most impractical 
Batman utility belts I've ever seen. Like the the '89 Michael Keaton belt is pretty impractical. Like it's implied that everything just kind of like slides around from the back that mm-hmm. he can grab, but there's no pockets or anything. It's not useful in any sort of way. But this is just like it's just for decoration. Yeah. Like I don't know where he keeps anything on that. Well, I think it's just all hidden in the cape. It's all hidden in the cape. But I I really love these looks actually. Um, so kind of around this time, so you know the the action figures. Or here's here's my other pitch. That I just realized this. Sorry. He gives the reason he gives everyone else a belt is everyone only everyone gets like three of his gadgets. <laughs> what would they even do with them? Hold it for him, so he can still have this. <laughs> oh, I see. He wants the sleek look. He <laughs> wants to 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 have that. Like he's tired of being clunky around the mid waist. He's yeah. like, I have, like I have a good shape. I've worked on this body, and I don't get to show it off because I have to wear this clunky ass belt that really throws off my lines. Yes. So instead, I'm gonna hold three. Superman, you can hold the heavy ones since it, you know you won't even notice. Yeah. GL, you can hold the ones that like aren't yellow. Wonder what you know, and like he'll he'll pass them around. I, I, I love that idea because initially he said that I thought you meant that like he shared his gadgets with other people. No, to no, use. no, like, no. It's, it's they all do still for no, him. He's made them carry his <laughs> gadgets. That Batman would do that actually. Yeah, he absolutely would. Well, because he would hide them. Like they yes. wouldn't know they're carrying them. No, and Batman being Batman, he would never ask for them. He would yeah. just like in the middle of a fight, just like really sneakily grab something off of someone else's utility belt and go and use it. Yeah. Like grab some smoke pellets off of hot girl and throw them out into the fight. Exactly. <laughs> okay. That's fantastic. You're right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. That, that's how <laughs> it's obviously why he wanted the belt instated. The perfect in universe justification for them all having belts. Yeah. But I, um, so what I was going to say is, uh, do you know the, the action figures, mini mates, the little like two inch mm-hmm. figures? I mean, they, there's, they have them like every property now. Like they, they rival Funko in terms of the random properties they'll make mini mates out of. Um, but way back in the early 2000s would have been like, I guess 2005, 2006, uh, they introduced a series of DC mini mates as part of this thing called C3. So it was a knockoff Lego construction line. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that the, the pieces, like any other knockoff Lego, don't go together near as well as actual Legos do. But the kind of cool thing they did is they built vehicles and sets to scale with the Mini Mates figures all in the DC line. And so some of it was um, Justice League stuff. So they had a bunch of like little mini flyers. And one of the Superman ones was this version of Superman. Oh, so I actually cool. still have this um, Mini Mate Superman with the like the the dark blue suit and the white cape and cuffs and stuff, which then I loved because it came with a little uh, kind of Superman ship in the same sort of color palette. Mm-hmm. And so in my like you know childhood headcanon, that was the ship he came from in Krypton. So I would just take the like the S and the cape off, and that was his Kryptonian uniform. Actually, okay. it works really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love those toys. There was actually there was supposed to be a whole line of like Batman Begins ones. They're gonna do a tumbler. They're gonna have him in all of his ninja gear. They're gonna do a bunch of stuff from the Batman, and it just didn't sell. And they didn't make any of them, and I'm still sad to this day that I was deprived of really great toys. I know. I know. That, there was a weird transition point, and I think it's when consoles finally took over the homes mm-hmm. and handhelds took over the homes. Yeah. When I feel like just toys stopped selling as well yeah i think so and i would guess that point is probably around 2004 5 6 yeah i think that's fair because i think yeah gaming in how like console gaming was bigger was like some of the i don't like to say the biggest it's ever been but it was huge like it was yeah. like a must-have thing everyone had to have like the console you know certain titles like halo were crazy big at the time 
Um, you know, and in combination too, we were starting to move. That was just the beginnings of moving out of watching TV on cable. Yeah, the, the, yeah, this is early Netflix. Yeah, exactly. So really early Netflix, which at that point it was you were still renting the the DVDs, you're getting those delivered in the mail. But this is also in TiVo existed. It's true. It's like I remember watching these on TiVo. I'd record them and, and then you could skip the commercials. It, yeah, exactly. So then Saturday Sunday mornings, I'd go sit down and be like boop, 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 and fast forward all the commercials. So now all of a sudden, commercials, which were I mean the, the intersection of making toys based off kids' shows where the kids' shows are an advertisement for the toys, plus there were ads within the show for those toys or other toys, that was all on its way out. Mm-hmm. And so now you were missing that critical avenue to get those toys in front of kids' eyes. So that's what they wanted. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that toys are starting to not sell quite as well, um, you know, and it just started to happen that way. The things started to shift away. And the funny thing, I think that was also the beginning of adult collector stuff. Yeah. Where kids weren't buying as many toys, then companies started to realize, oh, well, we can make really nice high-end versions of these and charge a premium because adults are buying them to go on display. Like, it's only now that we're getting the sort of toys that I wanted as a kid of the Justice League and of Batman and all of, all of the different heroes. Like, they're happening now, but I'm like, I'm not going to buy these. I don't have room to, I don't have room to display them. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's the, the struggle I'm dealing with right now. Yes. Uh, yeah, because I didn't think, of, I, I forgot about the TiVo era. Yeah. Because my thought, and, and I don't think it plays as big of a part, but it does in my, in my world, in my brain, mm-hmm. um, is we're now in this age, 2004, 2005, 2006, we're in the post-Pokemon fatigue era. Oh, okay. Where, yeah. like, Pokemon took over the toy market. Yeah. And once it started to fade, nothing really came to take its place. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone jumped on. I think Pokemon also lowered the quality of toys in America. Yeah, it's possible. Um, yeah. And I think that also had a big impact on what we played with. And I think it was also a combination, like, to your point about the quality diminishing, is it was expensive to make. And if they're not selling as much, they're not going to put the same sort of effort into making really good toys. Yeah. Like I do still have in a bin somewhere back up in NorCal with my parents full of, you know, Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, animated series, like a ridiculous amount of Batman stuff. And a lot of it holds up pretty well. Like behind me on my shelf is my like Kenner new Batman adventures Batmobile from 1997 that the decals are missing. It's a little scrapped up from being in a box for the last 20 years, but like it holds up pretty damn well. Yeah. And a lot of those figures at that time held up well too, but just at a certain point it got expensive quality diminished, you know, the interest wasn't quite there. Mm-hmm. And while we're on the toy rant too, I think another, another factor, yeah. I think another factor is, you're not going to cut any of this out. No, I'm going to keep it all in because <laughs> I have, because I am your Chris Lord. Yes. Lord, Chris Lord. <laughs> Um, I think another factor was people realizing that stuff wasn't going to be collectible, right? Because you think about Star Wars toys, when those mm-hmm. came out back in the 70s and the 80s, like those were collector's items. Like they, there was a whole resale market that was crazy, crazy valuable. It, it was kind of like collector's comics, right? Yeah. The first times they come around, no one intends them to be collectible. And so they're just made at a, a reasonable production scale. And then, you know, over time, scarcity happens because things get lost and destroyed and packages are opened. So all of a sudden, they're worth something. And you can tell that toy companies thought that was going to be the case, too. Like, I remember when Kenner introduced their Star Wars toys again in the early 90s. Like, we bought duplicates of everything, thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, these are all going to be super collectible. None of it's worth anything Well, think about the Beanie Baby craze. uh, Exactly. I think the Beanie Baby is part of it. 
it was the whole market was just like, hey, if you buy this, it could be worth like it. Beanie Babies were child stock. Yeah, it was speculation. It was all bought on speculation, and then they didn't go anywhere. Oh, but they're there now. That's what's hilarious. They're people, valuable now. Yeah. I wonder if we still have ours somewhere. Because my mom went through my collection. Yeah. And she's like, well, we bought this one. Like, why'd you take the tag off? I'm like, because I was six, mom. <laughs> How could you expect me to play with this and still have the tag on? Good old shit, Cameron, at six yeah. years old, not having the foresight of collectability. Uh, yeah, and I, I think people misunderstood the, the time difference. Yeah. Because the reason things become collectibles is because... The generation that had it as a kid now has the money to pay a premium for it. Exactly. And so obviously yeah. like adult, you know, when you're in your twenties, you don't really care about Beanie Babies no. in the nineties. Yeah. It was a kid's thing. But now our generation is, you know, very slowly starting to get money. Mm -hmm. So of course it's like, oh yeah, I remember that Beanie Baby thing. Like I never got that one. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a thousand bucks for it. Sure. Exactly. And none of us can buy a home. So we're going to buy Beanie Babies instead. Yeah. We're going to build a pillow <laughs> fort with our Beanie Babies and call that a home. And it will charge $2,000 a month for people to stay in it. Exactly. And cry ourselves to sleep in our pile of Beanie Babies. Yes. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Like this was an interesting time in terms of like that sort of uh, toy transition. Um, but I suppose getting back to the episode, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to find a segue back and I just couldn't find it. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, I think that the aesthetic of those characters is really interesting and, you know, and so then we spend what half the episode basically with the justice Lords getting a sense of what their universe looks like until Batman calls all of them in. And it's like, look through some weird way. I'm now watching a fight happen. No, with, no, no. Let's, let's. Because I'm so bored, That's true. <laughs> because you've done all my work for me, my life mission of cleaning up Gotham yeah. is complete, I guess I'll jump into dimension jumping technology. Yeah. Because what else am I going to do with Wayne Tech? I have all of this R&D fund that's just now going nowhere. Yep. So what am I going to do? Let's, yeah. Let's take a peek at some other universes. Yeah. And so he sees the... They're so desperate for work. <laughs> And that does kind of explain why they decide to jump into, I'm just going to call it our universe. Yeah, E1, Earth 1. Earth 1, yeah, to go and uh, you know assert their domination because they don't have anything else to do. Yeah, for, for, for us to make it easier, I know it's not Earth 2, but we'll say they're Earth 2 and we're Earth 1 just for simple well, I guess we could call point. it Lord Earth and League Earth. Well, it's Earth 50 if we want to be technical. Is it actually Earth 50? It is actually Earth 50, yes. The Justice Lords is Earth 50? Yes. Where did that come from? New 52. Which I know is comic, but they did say that this in Earth 50, in the New 52, it is the one based off of this episode. Okay. Okay. So we can. Yes. All right. This is the one time I will allow your. <laughs> I, I win it because like, this is the one point. I, I know this is what is going to be highly contested. But in the New 52, it is referenced that this is based off of this episode. Okay. All right. So it, Earth 50 and then. Earth One. Earth it's always just we'll just call it, okay. Let's we'll call it Earth One. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it has an actual designation. I just don't know what it is, mm -hmm. and I don't feel like trying to do the research. When well, any time it's the, the main world, we just call it's, Earth. We just call it Earth One. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so the Earth Fifty League, the Lords, look in and see the Earth One League, our league, um, in a fight with Lex, and they're like, "Wait, what the hell is this? Like, it's not a, a old recording of our past. Like, we never had this fight. This is happening live now. The Flash is still alive." Lex is still alive. They're still in the old uniforms. What is this? This absurd silliness. Uh, yeah. Let's just let's just pop over there and we'll see uh, what's going on. So do, does do that mean work. Lex never got his armor in E50? 
Possibly. Yeah, I mean, which I, means he never has his uh, kryptonite poisoning. He well, we don't know that definitively. I mean, I guess the the armor was initially designed to keep the kryptonite poisoning at bay. Yes. But yeah, I mean, further supporting the idea that that universe had a completely different history. You know, one one presumes he got to the presidency not by becoming a criminal first, but by as an extension of his LexCorp persona. Mm-hmm. That he never dipped into the uh, the injustice gang space in that universe. We don't know, but it's probably a fair guess. Um, but that's a shame. He never got his sweet armor. I know his sweet sweet green armor. But he's healthy, so you know, good for him. That's true. I mean, until he's, he's dead. Until he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> until his brains are melt all over the, the desk. But yeah, so they they set up a trap where whereby basically um, the Justice Lord Martian Manhunter pops over, and we don't see the exact conversation. But he basically says that it seems like their universe are collapsing and they need help. So will the League come with him back to his universe to to sort it out? And there's a really f- great moment where our Batman, Earth-1 Batman, leans over to Earth-1 John and says, you know, do you know if he's telling the truth or not? And John says, I don't. I haven't read his mind. To which Batman replies, can't or won't. Yeah. And he says, both. But even now, like, it's it's so typical Batman. Even in this situation, he's very distrusting of yeah a doppelganger i would be <laughs> if i saw another version of me walk up he's like hey what's up uh i kind of messed things up over here you want to can you come help me yeah like no no i got shit well, to do i mean to be fair at this point i think the only doppelganger batman has encountered of himself would have been the hard act batman from his silicon right. soul mm-hmm. and it, it's totally possible that at some point he and superman may have spoken about the time superman Oh, no, wait, Superman never made it over to the brave new Metropolis University. It was just Lois. Right. But he, Superman, I'm assuming, knows that universe exists. I think Lois tells him about it. I can't remember exactly how that plays out. It was such a long time ago. But, yeah, it's it also makes sense that Batman would always be distrusting. And for good reason, because as soon as they pop up in the Justice Lord universe, they're just, like, put inside a box inside the Batcave and electrocuted until they're all knocked out. Right. With but- the exception of Hawkgirl, who tries to escape... Because also her mace can capture electricity. Yeah. It's electrically charged. It's the power of nth metal. Exactly. And so GL has to blast her with a non-construct off his ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and that basically takes them all out. Which is, is frustrating because you know Batman would have a contingency plan for an electric box. Yeah, you think he would have had a better solution than that. I mean, I guess it's like the one thing that can take most of them out in one fell swoop. Yeah, it, it, it's a good coverall. Yeah. It's like, we'll shock them to death. Exactly. shock them until they pass out. Yeah, so it kind of works. Um, but then, you know, the, the League is now captured, so the Lords go back to Earth-1. And they're like, well, we're here. We're going to change things up a little bit. Um, and that's when, to your point, Doomsday arrives. Yeah, I because there's no, like... It's a hard cut. It is, yeah. It, I, I, for when I first, sorry, when I, when I watched it, I, I didn't think it. I mean, obviously, I didn't think it was Doomsday. I thought it was a flashback into, uh, Lord Superman's past. Mm, okay. So I thought we were gonna see like how the paths changed, like what oh, happened okay, to sure. Earth fifty to be so different from Earth one. Besides Superman killing Lex. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's doomsday. It's <laughs> He's going to fuck shit up. Yeah. And it, I can understand from a writing perspective why they chose doomsday. I mean, beyond the fact that it just works in this universe that it, it is, you know, you could honestly swap out somebody else for doomsday. He just happens to work well, but it's 
a, a creature so unstoppable there'd be no way to defeat him without using deadly force. Yeah, I mean, I my first thought was a Grundy. Yeah, exactly. They they could have swapped in a Grundy or something like that. But, but having it be a Superman specific villain, I think. Yeah, and they clearly deliberately wanted to bring in the the comic baggage and the connotations that come with that character of like if you know the comics, which. You know, I I think when this aired too, probably a bit of a mixed audience. I mean, yeah. there were kids like me who I knew who Doomsday was to some capacity. I mean, I didn't read the the Death and Return of Superman comics, but I knew that they existed at the time. Um, this is probably one of my first times seeing that character in another property. Um, which this might have even been his first time popping up in a cartoon. I would have to double check that. I think so. I think it might have been. Yeah, but I mean, you know who that character is, even if. Even though I had read the comics with Doomsday, I knew what that character was. I knew from the look, like, oh, this is the guy that killed Superman. So they clearly deliberately want to bring that in there. I mean, it raises some interesting questions on what would have happened if the Justice Lords hadn't been there. Right. Um, you know, because it's not, it's a little bit of a coincidental timing um, that he just happens to show up right then. But I mean, one presume, I mean, I guess we could assume that had the Justice Lords not shown up, that things would have played out probably more or less the way they do in the comics. Like the league probably would have tried to take him down and eventually Superman probably would have died fighting him in this universe. Well, Kryptonian sleep. What? Fine. Kryptonian sleep. Yes. (laughs) It's never dead. Let's be real about this. But he would have died quote unquote. Yes. um, In this universe, but that's prevented from happening. I think we can assume that's prevented from happening because the Lord's there instead. And you know, they, we do get a lot of that same stuff play out though. The whole league throws everything they have at him. This massive battle, Doomsday wipes the floor with all of them. Um, and then, you know, the the moment in, I think, the comics when normally um, both those Superman and Doomsday would have died when they hit each other and, like, the sonic boom shatters everything around them, they both still make it through. Superman just goes, fuck it, and lobotomizes him. Yeah. Yeah. Did you also find the voice on Doomsday just didn't quite work? I think any time he talks is weird. Agreed. Yeah, I don't think it works when he talks, and especially when he not only talks, but the, the, the voice is gravelly, but almost like not gravelly enough. It sh- to me, it should almost feel a little bit more animalistic. And the fact that he was a fully thinking, like rational persona was weird. So, I mean, the voice is Michael J. White, who's done a bunch of stuff. He's a fantastic actor and voice actor. Yeah. Um, and it just, yeah, I, it, it felt weird that he would like be having a rational conversation with Superman. I feel like we didn't actually need to hear him speak to understand his motivation was just to destroy everything. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know a version where he talks. Cause I think even in Superman doomsday, he doesn't talk or if he does, it's like just more animal grunting. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the whole point is that he's this unstoppable creature that cannot be reasoned with. And I, maybe they gave him a voice because they wanted us to show that, Doomsday was choosing to not be reasoned with. Yes. Because I guess it is, at the end of the day, a kid's cartoon. You know, I mean, cartoons, kids entertainment love to just, like, kill animals for no reason whatsoever. I mean, this is a big thing in Star Wars, that they're just killing stuff left and right. Well, that's the point that I used to make in BTOS, is anytime it's a non-human character, they'll just obliterate it. Like, think of the gruesome deaths we got for every ventriloquist doll. Exactly. For all of Poison Ivy's plants. So do you think, so the, what, what do you think is the reason why they made him, um, they gave him 
noticeable sentience, I think is a good way of phrasing it. Like, what, I think because you had to see him pre-lobotomized okay. and post-lobotomized. Oh, okay. You had to see his personality change happen. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. when he becomes like the drooling figure, if you don't see that he's kind of, that he has life in his head yeah. before that, you don't really know what Superman did. He could have just melted his brain. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think that from a, just a logistics perspective, that makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, and so yes, this, to answer our earlier question, this is the first appearance of Doomsday in, uh, any non-comic format. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I guess the producers wanted Doomsday in Superman, the animated series, but Paul Dean refused to include him. I guess because he's probably too fresh of a villain. Yeah. And I, I think that tonally that character might have been a bit outside Superman. Like Superman got dark towards the end, especially with Darkseid and um, like Legacy, that two-part finale. It's actually really dark. Yeah. I think it might have been a bit, a bit of a stretch for that universe. And I think by the time they got to Justice League, it was a bit of a darker tone and they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um. But yes, I mean, the, the part one ends with Superman lobotomizing Doomsday and then Lex watching it on TV um, from prison. And, you know, he sees it the way no one else does. He's like, it's not. Yeah, he immediately them. knows. Yeah. And honestly, that makes sense. Because in that weird sort of like comic booky, no one knows me better than my villain sort of way, Lex kind of knows them better than anybody. Like he's going to approach it the same way Batman would have being like very analytical and to like study and contemplate them and to really, and like Superman, especially he knows Superman mm -hmm. really, really well. I love that moment. That's a great button. Yeah. Just the, the Lords are in the universe. They're going to assert their power. And then, you know, there's one person who sees what's actually going on and it's Lex. It's, oh, it's so good. Yeah. So now part two. Yes. Slash. Batman, I know what you're doing. That's Batman. I know you know what I'm doing, but I know, but I know you know I know what I'm gonna do. Yeah, but I know you know what I know what you know what I'm gonna do. It's just Batman constantly trying to outthink himself. But yeah, so in in part two, uh, Earth One League, our league, um, has to escape imprisonment and finds an injured Hot Girl and confront the Justice Lord Batman before they can escape their own dimension and stop the Justice Lords. Um, I, I think one of the best things this episode does is actually give a lot of great flash moments. This is a great flash yeah, this episode. Is, yeah, so far I think this is the best flash episode. Because it shows how capable he can be. And it plays to our theory that we've said a while ago that Flash can do all this by himself. Yeah. He chooses to slow himself down <laughs> so everyone else can, like... Because we see if, they, if they're bored, they'll kind of cause their own ruckus. Yeah. And so Flash is really saving the team and saving the world by like letting everyone else get a punch in or two. Exactly. Yeah. He, he, he keeps everyone in line in his own weird way. Not necessarily intentionally. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe to some degree intentionally because he's, you know, a good person. Yeah. But he just kind of lets them do their thing and he's just there for the fun of it. But that, that moment when they're all imprisoned and to your point, it's like Batman just constantly outthinking himself, you know, our like, don't even try to escape because I know everything that you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a great, like, it, it speaks to the great writing and also the just Kevin Conroy in these episodes in particular is so, so good. But, you know, Batman's trying to, our Batman's trying to fiddle with, you know, his restraints. And Lord Batman says, you know, you're not going to get out. It has like mercury switches or something like that. So it'll detect any movement. 
our Batman says, you thought of everything. And Lord Batman says, no, I've just thought of everything you would have thought of. And it's yeah. just like, oh, God. It's, it's, so, it's so good to see that sort of intellectual arrogance of Batman thrown back in his face. It's very satisfying to yeah. watch. And then you have that kind of heartbreaking moment where Flash is like, okay, yeah, so like, what are we going to do? Like, well, how are you going to get us out? Yeah. It's like, I'm not. It's like, what's the plan? There is none. You can't. Yeah, can't can't do it. Yeah. So Flash takes on the mantle. He's like, I'm the I'm the detective now. I'm gonna get us out of this. <laughs> and he fakes a heart attack. Yeah, he he says he speeds up his heart to the point where it looks like he's flatlined. Um and, and what it does is it creates one of the most substantial emotional moments we've ever seen out of Batman. Like this is a Batman who's lost his own flash when he thinks he's losing the other one. He freaks out. He like he he stops thinking the way that Batman does in terms of being very rational and meticulous and and cautious. And he just runs right in and unhooks Flash to try and save him. Yeah. Yeah, cuz he's already lost one. Yeah. And you know, it's it's the same thing we'd see him do with any of the Robins. Mhm. Is is rationale goes out of the window. Exactly. Yeah. It shows that he's a guy who most of his actions are based off of rational thought and you know being analytical but at the end of the day like he's on this quest for a very emotional reason i think he's a very emotional character it's just we we don't see that come through all the way to the surface it's usually filtered through layers of intellect and rationale uh, but it, it's it's a great moment plus it flash outsmarts batman yeah like do that's the sort of thing that when would that ever happen under any other circumstances but it happens here, and it feels so true to both those characters in the moment. Yeah. It's, oh, I just, I, it's, there's going to be a lot of me just going, God damn, the writing is so good in this episode. <laughs> but the writing is so good in this episode. Like, you know, the fact that he gets to have that moment to shine, <clears throat> that he, he outsmarts Batman. Not only does he outsmart and defeat bad Batman, but he does something that our Batman can't accomplish on his own. Right. And, and there's that great moment of Batman being like, um, he's like, I didn't know you could do that. And Flash, I think, I think Flash saying he didn't know he could do it too also kind of adds a button, adds like a negative button to it. Oh, really? It, well, because I think Batman saying that he didn't know he could do that also meant that Earth 50 Batman didn't know he could do that. Yeah. Because they, they both know everything. They only know what each other know. Yeah. So Flash, cause I think Flash could have had a great moment of like, yeah, I know you don't know how to do that. You know, I know you know I couldn't do that. So, I mean, he knows, mm -hmm. or he didn't know I could do that. I, that. That is fair. I guess I read that as that's very much a Flash thing, and he just kind of winged it. Yeah, that, the, that, that too. Yeah. yeah, in the moment, he's like, well, I'm going to try this. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but there's, we have no other choice. Let's go ahead and go for it. I, I could also totally see him kind of knowing he could do that and just saying that to Batman. I'm like, yeah, I didn't know. Like, underplaying his own success. Like, that's... Mm -hmm. Batman loves to, no pun intended here, lord his intelligence and like his critical thinking over everyone all the time. He loves to prove people, look how smart I am, look how capable I am. Where the Flash is like, oh yeah, like I just tried it and it worked. Yeah. No big, it's not a big deal. Let's go ahead and move on. You're the hero here, man. Uh, so the team goes, they're trying to figure out where Hot Girl would be. Mm -hmm. uh, and like, oh, well, you know, we have to think that like in this world, we're the villains. We're the bad guys. Yeah. So yeah. Like, where would they take the villains? Like, what's the villain hospital? He's like, oh, obviously it's Arkham. Yeah. I, I love I love that choice on the writer's part to set it at Arkham. I love how they realize that's where she would be. And I love how they approach Arkham in this universe. It's 
creepier mm-hmm. than our Arkham. And it's like this beautiful, like the whole, and the producers even talked about this in the commentary. How do you design a Gotham in this universe? Because, you know, all of the, as they put it, the stock, you know, backgrounds they have of Gotham are all from the new Batman adventures, um, from BTOS. It's a, it's a dark, gritty, intense space and this this city honestly unless they said it was gotham you would assume it was metropolis yeah it's clean and crisp and everything looks very organized and linear and bright Bright. and shiny and even their version of arkham is like this beautiful hotel out on this hill with these perfect manicured gardens and they're manicured that way because they have lobotomized poison ivy and she's just out there doing her own thing Mm -hmm. but i love that they actually show us the extent of the Justice Lords' um, assertion of their power and that they've lobotomized everyone. And I love they chose Batman's villains to do it, and I love they chose to do it at Arkham. Yeah. Because that also speaks to how far this Batman has gone to let this happen. Because he's the guy who would always try and save his villains, no matter what. You know, he, he always believed in the rehabilitation of it, to the point, as you said, Scarface is in there. Ventriloquist and Scarface are in there. In our universe... He's the one villain that made it out. Mm-hmm. And this one, it didn't happen. And I, I just don't think he was invested in trying to help his people as much. So he just let Superman lobotomize all of them. And we see a bunch of them. We see what? Joker, Two-Face, Poison Ivy. Um, I love that with Scarface, it's the dummy that's been lobotomized and not Arnold Wesker. Yes. Not the ventriloquist. But I mean, that is how the ventriloquist would think though. Yeah. And that's also very sad. It, it's like, it's, it's. It's sad, it's smart, it's funny. It's like, it's, it's such an inside reference, but it works really, really well in that moment. It, it, it just goes to show how much these writers understand these characters. Um, but it's, it's so weird. Even the vocal performance out of Mark Hamill as the Joker, like it's still the Joker's voice, but we've never seen him this docile and quote unquote normal. Like he's not, he's not injecting energy into the voice, but the tone is still there. It's really, it's a really specific way to play it, and it works so perfectly. Yeah. Um, so what happens after this? So they they go there and they they they're trying to <laughs> get to all hot, over the place. They try to get to Hot Girl, and then um, oh yeah, Joker sends out the Superman robots. The robots. They get into a big fight, and then while this is going on, um, Batman has snuck into the Justice Lord Batcave to try and figure out how a way to get back. And then for me, this is the best moment in the whole episode is the fight between the two of them. And to your point, it's just them kind of constantly. I knew you were going to do that. Yeah. Constantly outsmarting each other. Um, but it's, it's really smart the way they visualize it. And this is something they talk about in the commentary that um, when they are talking to each other, when there's that kind of cat and mouse game happening in the bat cave where they're kind of stalking and hunting each other, trying to get a, a lick in, but they're talking to each other. All the dialogue is done when we can't see who it's coming from. So it's either coming from one of them in the shadows or one of them, their back is turned. So the producer's point, you have to pay attention and listen and try and you have to mentally assign dialogue to the character because visually it's not doing it for us. Yeah. And it basically creates an environment where Batman is talking to himself. And you can kind of imagine this is a conversation that he has more or less had with himself in a non-literal sense before of how far will I go? And to see it play out literally is so interesting to watch. Yeah. And then it ending with the great line from Lord Batman Mm -hmm. of we created a world where no eight year old will suffer at the hands of 
A punk with a gun. There it is. Yeah, yeah. No eight-year-old boy will ever lose his parents because some punk with a gun. Yeah. And it, it's the perfect shutdown argument. Yeah, like, and that that is at the end of the day, that is Bruce's Batman's goal. Yeah, is to not let this happen again. Exactly. And he did it, mm -hmm. and then we have the cute, awkward car ride of yeah. the two of them in the Batmobile together. Yeah. Um, where E1 Batman gets his rebuttal, mm -hmm. which is also great. It's like, oh, wow, look at Gotham. Wouldn't mom and dad be so proud? Yeah. And it's like, oh. Cause it, and it's, and it's in the specificity of how it plays out that works so well because after Lord Batman says that line of, you know, no eight-year-old kid, Batman drops a battery and says, you win. Mm -hmm. Fine, you win. Let's go stop the league. And then um, Earth-1 Batman insists on driving the Batmobile. But what's even down to the point where when they're driving... Batman stops at a red light. Yeah. And Lord Batman kind of gives him weird looks. Like if you're going to enforce the big laws, you have to enforce the small ones too. And it's, it's a very subtle undermining of Lord Batman's perspective. And then we see that, that one like a uh, diner get really upset because the, his meal was off or whatever. And the police out of nowhere just show up and arrest him basically for creating like a mild civil disturbance. And to your point, that's when earth bat, our Batman says, you know, mom and dad be so proud of you right now. And it, it, it's, it's that, that tete-a-tete, -tete, that back and forth there of them constantly trying to one-up each other, recognizing that they're both right and they're both wrong. They're both flawed in their methodology and they're poking holes yeah. in it. Um, you know, and it, it's so smart of, you know, Lord Batman to dangle his parents over our Batman to prove his point. And then exactly for our Batman to do it once again, it's like, you know, you did this because you lost your parents, but they were your inspiration. It, they would be horrified to see the world you've created, mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote, in their image, you know, as an honor to them. And the great thing about it is, you know, that there doesn't appear to be a resolution, that argument up until the point where Lord Batman shows up and saves our league from the police. And Superman even says, oh, you know, I, I genuinely thought it was the other guy. It's like, I am the I other am the, guy. Yeah. It's just like the, the twists and turns in that whole, what, five-minute section show that these guys really understand these characters so well. And, and again, I'm going to throw another shout-out to like Kevin Conroy, who does – the voice is the same, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just imagining it. Did you feel like that there was like a, just a tiny little bit of an inflection change between the two of them? Like you, uh, yeah, you, you could hear a bit of a difference. Yeah. Like, again, the, the man who created the, the Bruce voice – like the public Bruce voice, the private Bruce voice, and the Batman voice, those three voices, the fact that once again, he created just the tiniest little bit of a difference just speaks to how good Kevin Conroy is here. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I don't know. I, that is, I'm not going to say my favorite moment. I, I'll have to wait and see how we get through the rest of this. But one <laughs> of my all-time favorite moments in the entire DCAU yeah. is that exchange between the two of them. It's just, it's so, so smart and so well played out. You, you can imagine the producer's were excited. Like they even talked about a little bit on the commentary of like, basically the writers were having that exchange back and forth. Like they were more or less having an argument amongst themselves to hone down what that scene would look like, how that dialogue would play out. And you can just tell it's like, it's just coming from people who are super passionate about these characters. Right. Ah! Uh, so now the team is all out. They have hot girl. Now they have to figure out how to stop. The, the Justice Lords. Yeah, so Lord Batman lets them back through the portal, um, you know, and Superman says he he 
he won't cross a line if Batman says, we have to cross some line, mm-hmm. make this happen. Um, and so then, you know, Lex breaks out and then they set up a trap almost identical to the one they themselves got captured in, in the Lord universe. Yeah. Yeah. So Lord Superman is like, oh, well, you know, we're just going to set this right now. We're just going to go take out Lex. And mm-hmm. Everything will be fine. Uh, but twas a ruse. It was. Uh, it was actually Martian Manhunter in disguise. Yes. And they, they lock him up into a box and zap them. But just like our hot girl, the Lord hot girl uh, is able to break free. And there's that great moment when GL hesitates. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's in the prime position to stop anyone trying to escape. And even though it's not his hot girl, he still holds back from hitting her. Even Batman's having yelling, like, take the shot. What are you doing? Yeah. But it's, it doesn't matter. It's too late. And they escape. How, what did you think about the, um, this fight in terms of everyone pairing up and fighting themselves? Obviously it's something we, it's I mean, a, I love a good doppelganger fight. So, but in the, in the pantheon of doppelganger fights, how do you feel this one holds up? Mm, it's above Pokemon, the first movie. Fucking hell. I, I honestly, that's the only reference I can think of right now. I'm trying to think of any other doppelganger. I mean, fight. you know, I think you could call besides every Marvel first movie. Exactly. I, I think you could call, um, crisis on two Earths. That, that, that has an element of the doppelganger fight. Yeah. Um, no, this, this one's good. Mm-hmm. It, cause most doppelganger fights will usually come down to like, Hey, you want to switch, you want to switch guys. Mm-hmm. And then it's the other leaguers taking out the other villains. Yeah. Um, but this one, he kind of stuck mostly two one-on-ones yeah they mostly stuck to until lex came in exactly so it's mostly paired off obviously the batmans aren't fighting because they've already done their thing but you know lord wonder woman is trying to kill league wonder woman even tries to go batman at one point yeah um and then you get that that great moment of uh wonder woman throwing this yara a la linda carter just Mm -hmm. it's a fun little moment throw that in there you know and we get the martians fighting each other but one of them has four arms you can tell them apart yeah um i i think my favorite piece of the doppelganger fight is the two GLs fighting each other. We talked a lot about how Green Lantern, we talk all the time about how Green Lantern doesn't use constructs. Mm-hmm. One could argue that maybe like the, the scythe that Lord GL uses is kind of close to a construct, but it does show the difference. It's the brutality is when Lord GL busts out and goes after his league counterpart, he's going to stab him through the face. Yeah. With that massive blade. And, you know, GL is only able to keep, you know, the blade from hitting him by like pressing up against it. But it shows, you know, even in terms of the constructs they choose to use, um, the Lord GL is using this massive scythe, this big blade. And in contrast, our Green Lantern is basically using a fencing sword to deflect. And so one is very much an aggressive tactic and one is much more of a defensive tactic. Yeah. Um, but again, it, it shows what happens. You take the same character with the same power set, the generally the same way of thinking, but if one's willing to go further, those are the weapons they'll choose to use against each other. Yeah. I, I think my favorite part of this is, is a line that Superman throws out. I think when Lex finally joins in the fight Mm -hmm. and I don't, I think it's Batman that comes up to him. He's like, Oh, that's pretty, you know, it's a pretty crazy plan for a boy scout Mm -hmm. or whatever the line is. Oh, it's, um, it's flash. Right. So it's, oh, it's, yes. It's, that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's after Lex has shown up and used the, the power disruptor, a little Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. Whatever. But it, it works. It works in the moment. He depowers all the league. Um, and because at that point, right before 
Lord Superman gets depowered, it's him about ready to kill the Flash. That's right. And the Flash is trying to stop him from doing it. It's like, hey, like you've lost your Flash. I'm the same guy. Can you really do this? And Lord Superman's like, yeah, I can. Mm-hmm. I can and I will. Yeah. And it just goes to show how far they've gone. Um, but yeah, it's, what you were referring to is um, the Flash talks to League Superman and says, you know, I thought you were really going to do it. And he says, you know, I've, I've gone down this path before. I've walked this line and it's really hard to stay on the right side of things. Mm-hmm. And Flash says, oh, you're not the biggest Boy Scout you thought you were. Yeah. Didn't even get a merit badge. Yeah. That's my favorite part is that, that nice little lore. It's a good line. It's a great line. It's a really good line, actually. Yeah. Because it, it does show, like, sum up the end of the day, like, yeah, he is kind of the big blue Boy Scout, but he's more than just that. Yeah. Um, and there's that, that last little button there, that moment, which it's kind of cheesy, but I also feel like it really works. It when holds up the American flag. Superman picks up, the, like, the, the slightly tattered American flag. I think it works. It's fine. It's fine for 2003. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it Slightly different connotations maybe now, 20 years on, uh, in the circumstances we're in. But I, I think the sincerity in that moment actually plays pretty damn well. But, you know, ultimately what this means is that Lex got a pardon. Yeah. And he's back out in the, in the, the real world, no longer imprisoned. And, uh, and now he's got an eye on politics. Yeah, that, that's a great way to end the episode because now we know, at least now I know what it's going to lead into. Yeah. And, you know, as the producer said, they even deliberately gave him a gray suit there to kind of differentiate that, you know, he is, um, it's unclear what his thoughts and motivations lie at this point. He's not quite the villain he was before. He's not in the black suit. Um, but, and especially when we know where this is going to go in the Cadmus arc, and I think, well, we can save that conversation before we get to it. Um but, you know, we even, I referenced at the beginning of the episode that there is uh, part of the Cadmus arc is this theory about it all being a time loop rather than a different dimension. And so to see that little button here knowing where things are going to go, I think gives it even much more weight than it did when it came out and was just kind of um, a last little tease. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's, that's such a, a sci-fi, uh, it seems a little bit judgmental to call it a trope, but it is, right? Like that last little button that implies that everything that's happened could in fact happen again sort of thing. But I think it works really, really well here. Yeah. Especially coming from Lex. Oh, just, just, oh, it's so good. You just can't trust them. You just can't trust them at the end of the day. So like what, I mean, having now seen these, knowing where we're going with, um, with Cadmus and everything like that, like what, what are your overall thoughts on these episodes? Like how did you feel coming out of them? I, I was excited. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was excited to, because to, I know we still have some time. Yeah. We still have quite a few episodes and, um, Pretty good ones, luckily. Yeah. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm excited, you know, obviously for Starcrossed. Yeah. Because you guys won't fucking stop talking about it. It's, uh, it's so <laughs> important. I know it is. It's I know, so, I know. I get it. I get it. It's, it's like, like I said, I would argue these two episodes are the second most important episodes of Justice League behind Starcrossed. Like, yeah, you need Secret Origins to set up where everyone comes from. But you can almost kind of just assume that they just are a league and they're formed. Like, Starcrossed is a pivot point for the entire series, the entire universe. Um, but I think, I think these just, it, the writing is so good. The performances are so good. Um, it, this is the sort of stuff that you think, like, oh, this would make a great movie. But it honestly wouldn't, it wouldn't work as, like, a major theatrical release, like, live-action tentpole movie. Because it's so necessary to have built up these relationships and know these characters so well. Like, 
I could see Marvel kind of doing a version of this, but it would just be, I think, a little bit silly. You know, they found their ways to have these kind of conflicts with, um, with like Civil War and stuff like that. Yeah. But, I mean, the best opportunity to really show a character is to force them to face a reflection of themselves. And, you know, to your point, Marvel Phase 1, Phase 2 does a lot of, like, doppelganger fights. Of like, oh, it's the evil version of Ant-Man. It's the evil version of the Hulk. Here, it's literally them. Yeah. And I think when it's literally them, it's that much more interesting. Um, and you can only do this in a comic, in a cartoon where we know the characters and they're so well established. And it's, you know, a, a, a one-off moment in an ongoing story rather than a big event built around itself. Right. God. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. I'm glad you got to have your episode after I got to have my ranting episode last week. Was it, you weren't even ranting for good reasons. Weren't you angry? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is happy ranting. On no, my yes, part. yes, yes, yes. Yes. But I'm saying last week was I felt like my episode because oh, it's all okay. about Green Lantern. Yeah, this week is get to be your episode. I, I I'm gonna be honest, like I kind of needed this, like, because yeah. these last few have been fine. I think, I think Twilight's great, and I like a lot about Tabula Rasa. But we hadn't had an episode that I was just like super passionate about in a while, and it felt really nice to like know going into this that it was gonna be exciting, and like just having a blast rewatching them, and then to like get to talk about it. It's oh, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. Um, but anyways, any other thoughts on these or, or should I finally shut up about them? I think we, I think we covered it all. Okay. That was a long, <laughs> a long talk. Oh, long. I know. We'll, we'll try and get to the last little bits here in, in relatively quick order. All right. Well, I think with that, let's go ahead and, uh, you know, head towards Cameron's question corner. But first, we're going to take a slight detour. I have oh. a, a, a short notes from friends section here. Um, okay. I, I hate to say it, Cameron, specifically targeted at you. <sighs> What what was your old segment? It was like Cameron's Correction Corner? Yeah, what? Cameron's Correction. Or no, it was Chris's Correction Corner. And Cameron, it was also uh, another consonant-heavy name. I just can't yeah. remember what it was. It was, it was some sort of correction. But um, we had a couple people write in to uh, elaborate on a few things from last week involving oh, Green Lantern stuff. Um, so we got a note from both uh, James Strecker as well as uh, Jake, a.k.a. the Overvoid on Twitter, saying that uh, the underage... Green Lantern that Hal hooks up with is Aresia, not Jade. Yeah, I said it wasn't Jade. But I don't think you said it was Aresia. Yeah, because I couldn't remember her name. Yeah, exactly. So no, they, they yeah, came... I, I thought I said it wasn't. I knew it wasn't Jade because Jade is, is she... always John Stewart's girl. Okay. I don't... <sighs> oh, no, because I thought it was the girl that begins with a B who is Sinestro's girl. I thought that was the, the hookup, but it okay. was not. So I, I don't remember everything because as we've established, as soon as we're done recording... Oh, it's an immediate brain dump. I, I, it, it's gone. It's purged yeah. from my memory. Even as I'm re-editing it, I don't remember things that I've said. Um, but we James also had a few other <coughs> points of clarification. Okay. Uh, so it's Gallius Zed, not Gallius Ked. Yeah. Uh, it's Arcus Chumuk. Yeah. Uh, Katma's planet is apparently Korrigar, not wherever we were last week. Yes. Again, I, again, I forgot Yeah, that. I said it wasn't... I, I knew it wasn't her planet. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think to be fair, some of this is explaining to me the things I didn't know. Well, yeah, I also didn't know them as well. <laughs> exactly. but these aren't corrections. These are um, answers. But he he did say, Cameron, your Green Lantern game, mm, with a little, little kissy emoji. In uh, the, yeah, he says, Hal gets Aresia, not Jade. And then in all caps, I don't even know comics, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> So, but thank you, James and Jake, for writing in to uh, elaborate upon that. The the little 
holes in our Green Lantern knowledge that we yes. suffered through last week. Um, I think we made up for it this week. We we came in pretty well prepared yeah. and informed this you, time. You know what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, there was only a handful of things I had no I idea. I had the, the only point of Earth 50. Exactly. Hey, that's good. Yeah. That is really, really good. So I'm going to give you credit for that. Um, but so along those lines, though, uh, you know, instead of doing a new question this week, we're going to kind of do a follow up on your question from last week, which was very popular. I got we got good. a lot of responses to what sort of shows would people like to see um, set within the DCAU. So not a, uh, a show focusing on DCO characters, but the sort of thing you would find if you turn on a TV in the DCAU. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of them. Um, so as previously mentioned, Jake, a.k.a. The Overvoid on Twitter, said he would love to see Gotham Nine-Nine. That's good. <laughs> yeah, It'd be very corrupt. It, w- it would be. But I'll, I also love the idea of an Andy Samberg-type character who's just like, plucky and trying to make the best of it in a like really horrible corrupt police department yeah but also were they like are they just dealing with petty crime or are they trying is is like is one of the police officers like no this is our turn like we're gonna get two faces time Mm -hmm. it's like no we're not the terry cruz of that universe yeah it's like there's no way we're gonna get two face I mean, I, I'm not sure if it's like, we'll maybe get a clock king or a ventriloquist, yeah. but we're not going to get an A-lister. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is what Jake intended, but honestly, like I would take that exact same cast and just put them in Gotham. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> just have them interact. So that was one of his suggestions. The other one was uh, Penguin's Kitchen. So the penguin is Gordon Ramsay. Mm-hmm. And if he, uh, he doesn't like your, di- your dish, you get fed to sharks or shot by the umbrella. That's good. Which is really good. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, the other one was star labs or Argus as the office parody. Um, you know, it's like, Oh, Hey, so today we're going to, you know, pray a plank on Waller. And then they release doomsday sort of thing, but like a sort of workplace comedy that's set in that universe, right? Which I guess that was what, was it powerless was kind of supposed uh, yeah, that's to awesome. be that's the Vanessa Hutchins, Andy. Yeah. And, and I think that was originally pitched as being at a star labs. And then they like, they changed it to some like weird PR firm for yeah. a reason. Apparently it wasn't very good. Um, but no, I, I, those would all be super fun. Um, and then Ashley Clark suggested uh, either the real henchmen or the real sidekicks of Gotham. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah. MTV would have a field day with sidekick related. Yeah. Sidekicks hooking up. Yes. Uh, like find your perfect villain. And uh-huh. Like connecting sidekicks. Because I'm imagining it in the same format as the. Um... Oh, man. What was that one? Uh, it was hosted by Chris. Hardwick? Um, Hardwick, thank you, yeah. Oh, um, Where you have one person sitting in the chair and it's the hundred people behind them. I don't remember, it's, it's yeah. hundred to one? I don't remember what the name, the name of whatever, it was. Whatever, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's that, but with the villains. Yeah. Or even just like the voice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Where it's a henchman coming out. And I love it actually if it, it is just the voice. And it's, just the voice. And it's the four mob bosses mm-hmm. that, you know, the henchman starts singing. Yep. Or they have to hit the buzzer. <laughs> they, they get like fall into a pit of despair. Like a fire pit or something? No, that's what... It turns the henchman... Oh, it turns the... Oh, yeah. Not the henchman, sorry. It turns the The mob boss around. around. I've got it. Yeah, yeah, you're my henchman. Yeah. Um, I could totally see them doing like a... Like a... uh, uh, Like love at first sight, and it's a dating show just based around all the various assassins. Yep. (laughs) So that was... Love at first fight? Oh, that's good. That was one of her suggestions. You can either kill them or marry them. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Those are your only options. Yep. (laughs) Um... Another suggestion she had was uh, like a superhero alias speculation show, like under the mask or under the cape. So mm-hmm. like an investigative thing, like who is this person? Like, yeah. What, yeah. Like all these clues we found here and there. We think, you know, we think this is this. Um, a Discovery Channel special on Themyscira. That's good. Yes. Like an all-female sure. crew showing up there and like, you know, doing a nice whole piece. 
Well, no, but they would never get there. That's where they could never find it. Yeah, they <laughs> can never find it. So it's all just speculation. <laughs> it's the, it's a show about them trying to find Themyscira. Yeah. Um, you know, and then she also had the question of like, you know, would there be crime dramas, cop shows, procedurals, but with superheroes in them? Like, would we have things like Law and Order, but it's like Law and Order and Capes or something like that? Mm-hmm. Capes and Order. Capes and Order. Yeah. Um, and then she had another question, which was, what would sketch comedies look like when you have shapeshifters? Oh man, so much better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's Clayface's niche. Like, yeah, I can put him on Saturday Night Live. I honestly, he's in every cold open. Yeah, like Clayface, like just didn't think things through. Like, yeah, he, he no longer looks like himself, but he's now like the world's most versatile actor. Yeah, he can do everything. Yeah, which I guess like the Harley Quinn show kind of does address that idea, but it yeah, would and only... it shows that he's actually just a bad actor. <laughs> he's just such a bad actor that it doesn't work. <laughs> That, that's my favorite twist on the clay face is he's actually just a really bad actor. It's so good. That is the, the best, the best version of Clayface yeah. is in that show. Best version of Bane, too. I, I was talking with someone recently. We were saying how much we all lament the existence of The Dark Knight Rises, but it's it worth its existence for one reason, one reason alone, is that it then gave us the James Adomian version yeah. of Bane in Harley Quinn. I'm, I'm thinking about Bane now, and I would... I would love a parody where it's breaking Bane and it's, it's Bane as like still the jacked up version of himself, Yeah, but he is the high school teacher and it's just breaking bad (laughs) with, with like our Bane. He's a high school wrestling teacher. Yes. I am the man who knocks. Yeah. (laughs) I have to sell venom to, to, to help my family stay above while I deal with cancer. (laughs) It's, he makes that really special blue venom that no one else can make. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's like the DEA is still there. It's like, who could this be? And Batman's and it's like, it's Bane. It's Bane, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's Bane. It's Bane. It's, it's the only guy selling venom. He still goes by Bane. 100 mile radius. <laughs> Even as a teacher, he just still goes by Bane. He's yeah. still wearing the mask. It's painfully obvious who this is. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. It, that's too obvious. I can't. I guess my brother-in-law. There's no way it could be Bane. No, it's Bane. It's Bane. It's just Bane. Uh, God, I would love to see that. Uh, and then uh, friend of the show and former guest uh, Sam Gash also had a few suggestions. Uh, he said, "Hi, all the ideas I had for TV shows in the DC Plus would be sort of dark." Uh, so one of them was um, like a queer eye for the smiling guy. How to accessorize your rictus grin after surviving a Joker attack? That's that is something we would see in Harley Quinn. Yes. Uh, another one was uh, care of magical plants. What to feed your poison ivy plants so they don't eat you? That's her YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the the worst idea he said he had was Mister Mixy Pitless Spelling Bee. Good, which is really good. Yep. Can you spell these words backwards? Yes. <laughs> well, because I, I I think I mentioned this last week. But my favorite parody show within a show, for its namesake alone, is in DuckTales, is Ottoman Empire. Ottoman, it's so good. It's, it's, it's the <laughs> greatest name for a show. And it's about two brothers that build Ottomans for chairs. Yep. And the, the fact that the characters within the Ottoman Empire show have like their own arc yeah. over the course of the series <laughs> is amazing. It's, it is the greatest name for a show I've ever heard before. Yes. And I, I aspire to hit something of that quality. Yes. Oh, God. It's so fucking brilliant. Uh, and then Sam's last suggestion was uh, escape routes of the rich and famous, how to get out after a villain crashes into your party or your house or whatever. Yeah. yeah. 
I feel like these, a lot of these are like YouTube channels that would exist yeah. in the DCAU. Yeah. What, what would TikTok look like in the DCAU? That, that's a whole other question. Yeah. It would, it would be a whole bunch of people would just be like, oh my God, look, it's Superman. Like it just like flits by in the background. Yeah. <laughs> or it's them just like moving their finger really fast. Exactly. Like, like a blur. Whoa. Oh my Whoa, God. Whoa, man. It's crazy. Superman's my dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially when you think about once we get to the JLU era where, you know, we now have this huge tapestry of superpowered villains and heroes, a lot of whom don't have like specific origins. They just kind of exist. It's sort of acknowledged the idea that like there are meta capable people everywhere in this universe opens up to like a crazy, crazy amount of possibilities. Yeah. Oh man, people would get, it would just be superpowered people would be famous on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I mean, that, that, I guess that's been done in certain places before, right? Where the idea of like all celebrity culture is built around superheroes. I mean, um, the boys is kind of doing yeah. a lot of that. So, but it's true. It's like, it's such an interesting idea to think, what would this, what would entertainment look like in this world? Yeah. Yeah. We'd, you'd get like really, really dramatic Oscar Bation films of actors playing superheroes. Yep. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's and you'd have like the bad cameos of the heroes in yeah. in your in your Law and Orders who can't act right. At and all. It's, it's Superman holding a book that clearly has his lines like taped to the back cover. Yeah, but everyone's supposed to be like, "That's great, Superman! Like that best take. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't mind doing it one more time, yeah. It's like yeah, yeah. Like that was good. Let's try one more take. What what I love too is the idea that like. Hollywood Boulevard and all the people dressed in costumes, that would absolutely still exist. Yeah. Like, if anything, it would probably just be even more focused on heroes than it is on, like, movie characters. And you would probably get occasionally someone with powers mm-hmm. doing that. But, like, it's the totally wrong kind of power set sort of thing. Yeah. It's like someone who can teleport, who plays Superman, so he just, like, teleports in the sky and then falls. Like, I can fly! <laughs> there's there's a mini arc, and this will be my one my one tangent for the day, there's a mini arc in One Piece because mm-hmm. they they do a, a time skip is a very popular trope in anime. Yeah, which is why I love there's a time skip in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that two years, the main characters all went off and did their own training. Okay, and so while they're gone, their reputation still existed. And so there was this other pirate crew that came in and started dressing as <laughs> the main pirates. And like no one really knew their persona. They just know like their their bounty and their their reputation. Yeah. And so they they flaunted themselves as the real pirate crew. That's amazing. And the real the real crew came back and like the main guy, Luffy, he's like notoriously stupid. Mm-hmm. He sees the crew's like, oh, you guys changed a lot in these two years. And they're like the guys that are faking it are trying to keep it up. It's like, oh yeah, that's it's me. It's it's Usopp. Uh-huh. It's like it's your buddy. And it's like, wow, like, you look different. Uh-huh. It's like, yep, yep, but it's me. <laughs> I swear. That's really brilliant. It, it's a very fun, it's like a, I think it's just in one episode. Yeah. But it's so much fun. That's really clever. All right, I approve this tangent. Okay, good. It shan't be cut out. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but no, again, Cameron, this is an amazing question. And, you know, if people still have other suggestions, by all means, uh, write in and let us know at Tim Talk Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but with that, why don't we uh, do some bat plugs and uh, wrap this baby up? Let's do some plugs. All right. What do you got this week, Cameron? I I have a Cameron plug and then a weird plug. So one that I would obviously plug and then one that is, is very unique. Should I me. be including both of them in the show notes? Yes. Okay. Because uh, one is 
an older film that I realized it's finally on Disney Plus. I remember mm-hmm. making a fuss when Disney Plus launched and they didn't have this film. Of course. And it is one of my favorites, Sky High. Yes. Was finally added, I think, in the past couple of months. Mm-hmm. And so I rewatched it last night and wow, does it hold up. Mm-hmm. It is so much fun. It is a universe I wish Disney Plus would expand on mm-hmm. in any capacity. Every character could have their own side story. We, we never got any sort of follow-up on it, right? No, like no TV show or animated series nope, or anything? No comic or anything. Yeah. That, that is a disappointment because that actually is a really, really smart universe they built. Yeah, and it's so much fun. And, and there's a book series that we've both plugged at this point, the Not Your Sidekick. Yeah. Which I think is the best version of the Sky High universe. Mm, okay, yeah. Um, but Minus we, the, the fun school part. And added a horrible dystopian future. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> but a lot of the other pieces are the same. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that that movie, I there's so many fun characters. And then we obviously talk about War and Peace mm-hmm. as the greatest name, a great name for a villain turned hero. Yeah. Well, it, the kid of a hero and a villain. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that movie, like everyone, please go watch it and appreciate how great it is. I, I'm glad you brought it up because it's one I've been meaning to go back and revisit. I've only seen it once. Oh, wow. Years ago. Like, I think I've watched it like at home. Like I'm one of the, like the you know the premium movie channels something like that. I didn't see it in the theaters, but I, I liked it when it came out. I'm like, oh yeah, this is fine. It's fun, yeah. and I definitely want to go back and revisit it because I've I've never really heard anyone say anything bad about it. People always talk about it as like this sort of like lost, underappreciated gem that just didn't get the sort of recognition it deserved. Hmm. Um. Yeah. If if anyone has any ideas on how to spin that show off into anything, like yeah, I'm all ears. I you know I mean. It, who knows? It, it's totally possible that before too long, we could see some sort of revisit in that universe. You know, I mean, hell, we got a Girl Meets World 20 years on from and Boy Meets World. And Raven's so, Home. And Raven's Home. It's, it's very possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that is where something like Disney Plus really does offer a lot of opportunity. Yeah, Enchanted 2. Yeah, exactly. Disenchanted. That things that have really, really niche audiences, you, there's now a place to put that up there without having to take on the burden of, you know, distribution costs. Yeah. So I, I hope we get a revisit on that. Um, mm-hmm. oh, the, the and one, the cast in that movie. The cast is amazing. It's, I mean, yeah. Russell Crowe. Oh, but uh, it Kurt is Russell. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be a very different movie if yes. it was Russell Crowe. Kurt Russell. But it is sad, though, because, of course, uh, Kelly Preston has since yeah, she passed, has away, passed away, which is sad. But she's also so good in that movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. And, um, What's his face is Coach Boomer, uh, Ash first. Oh, Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell, thank you. Yeah. What a what a gem. Yeah, he's he is the greatest like PE coach. Yeah, actor. He, he really is. He was born to play PE coaches. Uh, but my other plug, and I need you to follow me on this on the string of how I found this thing. Okay. It's a musical called Islander. Okay. It is a Scottish two woman acapella musical. Okay. It came out two years ago and has one of the most beautiful soundtracks mm-hmm. I've ever heard. Wow. Okay. And the way, the way I found it is, I don't know how up to date you are with the crazy trends of 2021. Not much. No. Um, but the big craze right now is sea shanties. I did know about this. Yes. And it is. Why? I don't know. I don't know. There was like, uh, I don't want to call it a craze, but there was like this underground movement going on of 2020 Yeah. of like, since all of the Renaissance festivals were canceled, people like held digital Renaissance festivals. Okay. Make, makes sense. And yeah. they would use sea shanties as the background songs. 
because they kind of fit. Yeah, it, it more and or less I think, works. I think the songs just made their way into mainstream. Yeah, because um, I, I saw one TikTok video, and again, I'm not a TikToker. I must defend myself every time I say I watch a TikTok video, yeah. but I do watch. Like I'm not a Star Wars fan. <laughs> I watch exactly. I watch a surprising number of TikTok videos for not having a TikTok. But it was this like this guy in a car with his best friend, and the the driver was listening to sea shanties, and the guy's like his point of view is like, what the fuck is this? Like, why listen to sea shanties? And the next one is like, okay, I'm kind of getting into this. They're good. And with the third one, like they're both like belting full steam. Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. So this is basically a she a sea shanty musical. Okay. And I'll I'll play you one of the songs after we finish. Okay. Recording. Yeah, I'm very curious about this. A such a gorgeous soundtrack. I've I've. I haven't been able to find the musical anywhere online. Okay. Like I'm willing to pay up the butt for it. Like, I want to sure. see this story. Um, Where's the music then? Where'd you find it? It's on Spotify. It's on Spotify. Yeah. Okay. It's called Islander. Okay. Oh no, I think something different. I, Cause there was a, I was, I did go see a, a musical a few years ago, New Year's Eve about like a tiny little Island in like Iceland or something like that. But it was all about how like, that's where all the planes got redirected on nine 11. But I think Island is in the title, but it's not the same. Yeah. Thing. That, that's different. Not yeah. the same thing. Clearly. Yeah. The so. musical has not made it out of Scotland yet. Okay. So I, it, it just did a couple small theaters before <sighs> everything shut down. Okay. Yeah. It was just about to do its European tour. I mean, you, you basically had me at Scottish musical, Scottish two woman acapella yes, music. Exactly. You, you know how much I love Scotland and the Scots. Yes. So I should get a kilt. You should get a kilt. I'm how, surprised you don't have how, a kilt. Why do I not have a kilt? Um, <laughs> uh, Yes, those are my two plugs okay. for the moment. Uh, what about you? What are you plugging? Uh, I listened to a, a new podcast this week called The Anxious Achiever. Okay. So I discovered it because I got it's like some email from like Apple being like, yeah. hey, here's some podcasts. I'm like, well, let's look and see what's out there. And it, it kind of struck, struck my eyes. So I listened to it. And so the idea is basically it's uh, an interview style podcast, roughly 30 minutes each. And the host is talking with um, like really high accomplishing, successful people who also are constantly dealing with various kinds of anxiety. Um, so oh, like it sounds relevant. Well, I mean, it, it is, you know, like I, I guess I've never really talked about it on the podcast, but you and I have talked about it. Like I do get really, really bad anxiety all the time. And mm -hmm. actually something like this, like this has helped a lot in terms of me getting better about like speaking and, and being a little more comfortable with myself. But you know, I do deal with it kind of like every day in some kind of capacity. And so like, oh, it could be interesting to hear what they talk about. And so um, like the first episode is with this guy and I, I have forgotten the name of the guest, but basically, you know, he um, he's a writer speaker about coping with anxiety specifically. And, and even the host is a public speaker who gets really bad anxiety. And, you know, it, it was interesting. And um, at one point they, the host asked a question about like, Hey, you know, do you ever have that sort of moment to the guest of where you are so anxious about something, you've basically resigned yourself to not being able to succeed at it that you just choose not to even embark on it something at all. And it's like, I can absolutely relate to that. Every day. Every day, all the time. Um, and unfortunately, in that one episode, they didn't fully dive into it. Instead, the guy said, well, he actually kind of gets the opposite reaction, where he kind of has resigned himself to knowing the worst case scenario is going to happen, so there's nothing to lose going into it. And I was mm -hmm. like... Wouldn't that be a lovely change to, yeah. <laughs> to have that I, reaction? Yeah, that's the other thing. I watched Big Fish for the first time. Oh, Big Fish is um, good. This week. Yeah. And that that is the exact plot is he knows how he's going to die. So what else is there to fear? Yeah, exactly. And it, it's like, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to uh, to have that thought process and, and to try and work my way towards it. So um, I, I 
the first episode wasn't necessarily like really revelatory in terms of coming up with like coping mechanisms or, but it was nice to hear two people having like a really constructive, eloquent conversation around anxiety. And so it's a, a show I'm going to continue to listen to and cycle through. And if uh, there are any specific episodes that I feel like are, are helpful for me or might be helpful for anyone listening, I will pass those along then. That sounds um, great. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. The Anxious Achiever. I listened to it on um, Apple Podcasts, but obviously it's anywhere you can find podcasts. So. But yeah, all right. I think that does it for us this week. Uh, a little longer than normal, but that's because I really want to talk about these episodes. <laughs> so it's on me. So I have no one to blame but myself for the lengthy edit that is to ensue. Um, but uh, thank you for listening, everyone. As always, uh, if you have thoughts on these episodes, I hope people do because they're amazing. Or if you have suggestions for shows set in the DCAU or... If you have a, a, a clever way to keep Sky High going, yeah, uh, write in. Let us know. We are at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. I am at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. I keep saying that I will be doing this soon, but hopefully, sometime soon, I'll finally put up uh, an Instagram story around the Lego Batwing, which yeah, I have. It's done. It's done. And it's beautiful. But I have not yet mounted it on my wall, and I feel like I should wait until the entire process is done. So who knows how many weeks and or months it will be before that happens? Yes. But keep an eye out for that. Uh, and you can find my art at Cameron.Dexter on Instagram, and you can find my face at CamDexter underscore adventures. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with more Justice League. This time we're talking about uh, Eclipsed, which is an episode I vaguely recall um, that has to do something with eclipses, I think. Uh, do they lose their power? Or does someone get power? Because those are the two things that happen in Eclipses slash Sunspots. I don't know. The the villain in this is, I had it, where'd it go? The Ophidians. I don't know what that means. Yep. We're going to find out. Yes. Find out next week. (laughs) We'll find out next week. Uh, But until then, thanks, everybody, and uh, bye. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.